Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She shows up. You got to put her on the air, right? You got to put her on the stage. And she does liaisons. And from what I hear, uh, she had a fishing wire, which you couldn't see, uh, you know, the transparent uh, fishing wire attached to her thumb, wrapped on her thumb and attached to her hair, and at the end of the number, she falls asleep, and as she her head goes down, her arm goes down and pulls the wig off. Oh. And she had wisps of hair because she was old, oh. and her hair had all gone. So here's this woman talking about the great amours mm-hmm. and liaison she's had in her life, and here she is, this old lady, bald, yeah. and, they, and they, they said, they gasped. <laughs> They simply gasped because it's the saddest thing. Age, God is terrible. And really to women, oh my God, it's so mean. And so, as history has it, she got the part. I I hear that they tried it out in previews. It was too much for the audience. However, she was, you know, said I can do the part and went in and proved she could do the part. Okay, my dream I've told this story before, so if it sounds like it's rehearsed, it sort of is because it's a good story and I've told it. I can't tell you how many times. My dream when I was a kid was three things. You know, usually you're a kid, you're lying in bed, you want to play center field for the Yankees or be in a rock band, be Mick Jagger. I wanted to be in a Stanley Kubrick movie, a Woody Allen movie, and be in an original Sondheim Prince musical. Huh. That's what I was raised in. Those were my That was yeah. my dream. Yeah. Um, I have, I jokingly say, I still think I have a better chance of being in a Stanley Kubrick movie than a Woody <laughs> Allen movie, because he he, he hired me twice for uh, plays, oh. offered me, yeah. and I turned them down. Uh, one was Bullets Over Broadway, yeah, uh, to play the producer, and uh, uh, the uh, Jack uh, Warden part. Yeah. But there was no song, and they said you had a year and a half or two years that you had to devote to it, mm. and I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. I had to be on the road and stuff like that, and I have kids, and, and I couldn't do it. The second one was, I'll tell you, it was the evening of three one-act plays. Death-defying acts. Was that what it was called? It was a lame May. Yeah, yeah, yes, it was a yeah. called death-defying acts. Yeah. Yeah. The Joel Cohn one was, re- uh, not Joel, the Ethan Cohn play was really good, and I was supposed to, to play the therapist. And But the only thing is, I had a problem with the script because I couldn't justify it. Why wouldn't this 
Well, it's 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 a a, um, a prison psych- psychologist in the jail cell with a hardened criminal, mm-hmm. and this hardened criminal is becoming very threatening. And why wouldn't the guy just call the guard? He's in the in the yes. Uh, so I didn't believe it, but the part was good. But I, I just couldn't get a handle on. It. I think I would have been arguing with Ethan too much, mm-hmm. and I was worried about that. And the Woody Allen play was horrible. Horrible. Now, there is no bigger fan of Woody yeah. Allen ever, ever, right. ever. Just reading him, seeing his plays, much less his movies, I I adore him. Even today when he is maligned and reviled, yeah. I adore him. But I couldn't do it. I, I, the, the, the part was just you come in, you say eight lines that aren't very funny yeah. just to fill up the scene, like the Marx Brothers stateroom yeah. scene. So you have all these people in a hotel room, and I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I could see myself, the second preview, taking a gun and shooting myself. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it. So I've turned down Woody Allen twice. Oh, my. So in any case, so, there's, so that's my joke. But uh, <laughs> I'd love to be in a Woody Allen movie. And the Stephen Sondheim play, I'm not going to be in a Stephen Sondheim musical, an original musical. I, I, I sing, but not that well. But I wanted to audition. And Hal calls up my, my agent and says, I'm very well aware of Richard Kind. My son-in-law is in a TV show with him, Spin City. Mm. I love him very much. He's very funny on the show, but he's not right for the part. Well, two things. Number one, how Prince knows that I exist. <laughs> so that's right. that in itself, I'm okay. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. But my manager had the foresight to say, look, you don't give him the part, you don't give him the part, but let, let him go in the room. Yeah. And, and go. So I get the audition. And I don't know all of this, uh, that, 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 that I've been denied the audition, but I go in and I've worked pretty hard and I sang a Jerry Herman song because I know that they don't like each other, Herman and Sondheim, especially after the Lacage Fold yeah. thing where he said, you know, finally you reward somebody right. who yeah. can write melodies. Yeah, exactly. And what a horrible thing to say. Horrible. And so I know that they don't like each other, but sometimes I just don't think. And it's a song that I worked on. And what song had, was it? Uh, Look Over There. Oh. So it was a beautiful yeah. song. I've worked yeah. on it before. So I thought, and it, it showed the tenderness of this guy, yeah. and it's a nice ballad. So I sang it. Did not even, when I say for a second, <laughs> didn't even occur to me that I'm singing a Jerry Herman song in front of Stephen Sondheim. Didn't matter. Uh, I, so anyway, uh, then Hal comes up, and we start doing the scene, and I do the scene pretty well. So Hal comes up, and he whispers in my ear, and he starts giving me direction, and it's great. And I love it, and I do it again, and it's wonderful. And I leave, and the next day, and the, I, 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 I don't know whether I told this part well enough, but it really is beautiful. I'm in the back of a car with Hal Linden, and we're going huh. to play golf. Nice. Because Hal was doing cabaret at the time, I'm doing Taylor the Allergist's Wife. And we're going to go play. It's a Friday, and. We're on our way to the golf course, and I get a phone call. It says, Hal Prince, Hal Prince is on the line uh, for me. And I go, okay. <laughs> and I, I say hello, and he goes, 
uh, uh, kid, kid, we're going to have a great time doing this. It'll be a lot of fun. I, I have great ideas. I'm fun to work with. We'll have a great time. Everything. Uh, I'm so happy about But he never said, you've got the part. Right. <laughs> he never came out and said, you've got the part. And I don't think I was hired or my agent didn't tell me. So I really didn't know. And it was a little bit of a time I didn't know. But that after that morning, he's going, kid, kid, we're, we'll have a great time. Uh, I'm a lot of fun to work with. I have great idea. Oh, and you'll, you'll be, you're great. You're great. Your, your reading was wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And I hang up and I turn to Hal Linden, which if <laughs> I think about it is now, he's on Broadway, but his career is a little on the decline. And he'd like to be in my shoes. Yeah. And I just looked over and I, I started to cry. And I said, I, I think I just got hired for an original Sondheim Prince Wyden play. Yeah. And I just started crying. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe. I couldn't what believe a, it. Yeah. What, a, I know. what a gift. Oh, my what God. Oh, my God. Now, a story about, about that is we were having the Zitz Probe. And, oh, I've got so many. i got lots of stories about Bounce, which I know everybody wants to hear. So this will go on the record. Um, we're doing the Zitz probe, and I have to go to the bathroom. At the same time, Stephen Sondheim is going to the men's room as well. This does not go where you think it is. Um, and uh, I said to him, I said, Stephen, I have to thank you so much because I don't sing any harmony in this show. And I, can't, I have one note, the very last note uh, on the, the title song as we end it is a real harmonizing note mm -hmm. that somehow I'm able to get. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, but I do. Otherwise, I cannot harmonize. I can sing. Uh, sometimes I'm a little pitchy, or you have to really teach yeah. me how to get there, even with, and with Sondheim, who's tough, but I got there, and mm -hmm. I can do it. Uh, and I rarely go off once I have it, mm -hmm. uh, but it, sometimes it takes me a while, but I cannot harmonize. Played Harold Hill in... Uh, a music man couldn't harmonize until there was you. I would just, and, and it's not that I can't take a harmony part. If the person has the harmony part and I have the melody, I still go to her, his or yeah, her part. Yeah, yeah. I can't do it. I understand. Um, and uh, I, said, I said, thank you so much. He goes, you know, I can't, he goes, I can't harmonize either. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I can't harmonize. You know, I can write this stuff, but I can't harmonize. I went, wow. So who knew that? But he can't. And, and he sings wow. some of his own songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but he can't harmonize. Wow. So he said. Or he could have been lying in the bathroom. But the, the silly thing was is that when I was in high school and in the chorus, you know, we'd go over, okay, here's the tenor line, blah, blah, blah. And they'd play it out for me and everybody would sing it. And then once we all started going into four, I would just go to the melody. Yeah. <laughs> That's just all I would do. Uh, and I know this sounds crazy, but in my head, I didn't understand chords. Mm -hmm. Nobody right. told me. Yeah. A chord is made up of three or four notes, mm -hmm. and this is one of the lines. So it wasn't until much, much later in my life that I put two and two together and said, oh, that's what harmony is. So from the get-go, I, I didn't understand it. Wow. Uh, I, and I was curious if I could have done it back then, if my ear, if I had been trained, could I have done it? But I, I don't yeah. know. Who knows? Okay. I'm, just, I'm the same way. I understand. So, so what was it like doing Bounce when it went into Chicago and D.C.? We did uh, um, 
we did uh, hold on, hold, hold. Goodman, I thought. We, we, we did the Goodman first. Yeah. yeah, we did the Goodman first. Okay, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things about about bounce. Um, uh, I guess it was cursed from the get go. Uh, because of Rudin and the, and the this and that. And, you know, I mean, it goes way back to Irving Berlin, I think, or Cole Porter. Wanted, I think it was Irving Berlin wanted to do a story about the Misers because he knew them personally. And uh, and it is a fascinating story. I loved it. All Stephen worried about, it seemed, was the last number with the with the uh, market falling apart, with the real estate boom, and, and then the crash. And... Uh, okay, maybe it needed work. I'm I'm watching it from on stage, so I I can't see it. But there were other issues, and they should have been dealt with. Uh, well, that's that's my phone. I think. Okay, I can't take it. Uh, I'm, I'm here. Is that you? It's not not us. It yeah, might it's, be it's, you. It's, it's me if you need to take it, you can take it. I don't want to take it. Come okay. on. I'm telling stories. I'm talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, one thing after I got the role, I, I I was at Hal's Christmas party, and I, and Sondheim was there, and I, I had a beard. Oh, it was Christmas time, so uh, I went up to him, and I said, "Do you know who I am?" And he goes, "Yes, you're Richard Kind," and the beard goes. So that was the first thing he said. That's the first thing I ever said to him. Sassy. The second thing that I said to him was, and I'm really honest about this and I had practiced it. I said, we're gonna have to work as peers and I promise you I will treat you with the respect and I will talk to you as a human being. But before we start, I just have to say, I can't believe what you do. Mm. I just am in awe of, of everything and I've had the opportunity to talk to you a couple of times, I've been at some parties, I was at Sandy and Daisy's wedding, I've been in the room with you, and I I just am worried that spittle will go down the side of my mouth because I won't find the words to express it. And, I was, and, and I'd be embarrassed at the words that I've chosen. And he said the most wonderful reply. He said, I am not my songs, I'm just a, a nice Jewish boy from the Upper West Side. So it was humble yeah. as well as celebrating mm. just how good he knew he was. Yes. Mm. yes. And I will tell you, he can be very funny, but there's a lot of times where he's not as funny as he thinks he is. But his lyrics are always the funniest oh, yeah. that they are. Yeah. They're the greatest. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, it's shocking. Do you remember the that first is. Sondheim show you ever saw or listened to? Yeah, Company. Yeah, mm. yeah. I was uh, I was a, a, a kid in must have been like ninth grade, so um, I could have been earlier. But I used to take the train in from Trenton, New mm -hmm. Jersey, which is I lived in Yardley, and my mom would drop me off in the morning. I would go into New York. I would see a Broadway play by yourself. All by myself. Oh, my God. And then I would get a uh, hot dog at Nathan's, nice. uh, one or two hot dogs and fries, and then I'd go to the drama bookshelf, then I'd go to Sam Goody, and then I would go and see a show at night. And I remember clearly seeing... I clearly remember seeing the first time I saw the ad, uh, uh, the, the poster uh, of Company in the Purple mm -hmm. uh, with uh, the word Company. 
And I thought, who would want to see a show about an industry, about a, a compa? I didn't right. know. Yeah. But that was just my yeah. first yeah. thing. Yeah. Is that I saw industry, I didn't think of company. Yeah. Uh, and then you know you follow you follow the things. And I was I didn't even know what it was about. But it's Sondheim. It's Broadway. It was a big hit. It's well reviewed. So I go and see it. And I'm a kid. And I don't know about marriage. And I don't even know about men and women. And I saw it, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. And all I remember was the karate f um, flip over the couch. Mm -hmm. yep. the, okay, I remember that. I remember the set quite, quite well. Mm -hmm. And I remember Ladies Who Lunch, mm -hmm. because she was standing up there. And I, I, uh, But I didn't know what the hell was going on. And that's the honest to God's truth. Yeah. I didn't know... Well, and and at that age, having to listen to uh, listen to everybody, but I really want to tell you about the weddings. It's a wedding, and I I, I wasn't used to listening that hard, yeah. uh, so I didn't know what was going on. But that was the first Sondheim thing. Oh my th th That I ever saw. Okay, so you grew up in New Jersey, went, and your parents were okay with you liking the theater and and and, and pursuing. Well, no, that? no, no. My grandparents introduced me. Oh, my your grandparents. My grandparents lived on East 69th Street. Oh, and oh They okay. would take me to Leonard Bernstein's Young People's Concert, oh. and I always thought that my grandparents knew Leonard Bernstein. I don't know why, but in my head, that, that's what I thought. And I remember the, you know, I remember my the whole family went to see Fiddler. And then Mama Leone's after, and my yeah. dad threw up after on the curb because he had been uh, dieting, and uh, so we went to see Fiddler. We had dinner that uh, dinner that night at um, Mama Leone's, of which you always overeat. Yeah. And then uh, my dad saw one of those rotating uh, sausages, you know, on those rollers, on those yeah. metal rollers, and he saw the grease, and everything, and he just went to the curb <laughs> and threw up. So that's what you remember. Do I remember Fiddler? I don't know. Was that <laughs> your first show? What was your very first Broadway was, show? Was, was Fiddler. Fiddler. Was yeah. Fiddler. Then my grandparents took me to Maine. They took me to, uh, uh, I went to see uh, Minnie's Boys. because I. Uh, you saw Minnie's Boys? I saw Minnie's Boys, not really knowing about the Marx Brothers. And then I did get to know the Marx Brothers and crazy. And then I know um, um, Grossman. Um, Hal, uh, Hal Grossman. Oh, who, oh, Larry Grossman. Uh, Larry, Larry Grossman, Grossman yeah. who I, I know, uh, I'm going to say well, but the, the only reason I forget his name is because I'm, I'm older and I have too many names in my head, but he's the sweetest guy and he's so talented. Yeah. Northwestern grad. Yep. And then, uh, oh my gosh, I saw everything. So Pippins, I know I, I saw it all. I saw hair, not knowing what yeah. I, what it was about because I was too young. I saw a, a lot of stuff. But and were you watching, thinking I want to be up there? Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, you, you knew. knew yes, age, yes. This was... I oh I knew that I wanted to be an actor, but I knew that I was not going to be an actor because I was raised to be a lawyer and take over my father's store. He's a so jeweler. He was a jeweler in, in, in a very fine store. Not yeah. not a jeweler as in he makes jewels. Yeah. He was a retailer. Yeah. And his uh, competition was Tiffany and Cartier because if you're from Princeton and you have a lot of money, you're going to go to New York to buy all of your stuff, yeah. right? Well, your choice is also if you have the same suppliers as Tiffany and Cartier, is my dad's store. And you get a personal touch you're not just one of the masses right yeah and he was revered in that town my mm -hmm. dad was was big sam he yeah. everybody came to him if you got a levake's box which was the name of his store a levake's uh gift it was like you it was the equivalent of yeah. tiffany or cartier yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, and he was Classic. way overpriced just like tiffany and cartier is <laughs> good yeah he, he he was the same quality yeah. and so that yeah. was the path you were supposed to follow. i was supposed to take uh, my mom raised in new york uh, and that, those were her, her parents mm -hmm. who took them so i was we always went to 
uh, plays. I always went to plays. I always watched movies uh, late at night. My dad was sleeping. My mom was in her bed, and I'm down at the foot of the bed on the floor looking up. So huh. I really knew. I I knew uh, movies. Your movie really, buff. Yeah, I was. I'm a real movie buff. Not in how to make a movie. Not in lenses or directing, but. Who was in it? Who was that yeah, character right. actor? I loved them all. Did you see a lot of the Neil Simon plays? Because mm-hmm. that was like hey, I did. My God. God. I saw. Yeah. I saw. I did not see Barefoot in the Park. I uh-huh. guess I didn't see Odd Couple. But I, you know, I saw both Plaza Suite and uh, California Suite. I saw Sunshine Boys. I saw Gingerbread Lady. I saw them all. Oh I my saw them all. God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them all. Yes, I saw everything, and to this day. I continue to see everything. Yeah. And the weird thing is that I know if a show is going to run and run and run, that I see it with the replacement cast, which is go bad. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh. I don't see it early on. Mm. I go, ah, that's too tough a ticket. I'll see it. I'll, I'll see it later. See yeah, it. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll tell you something. I was in a show called Tale of the Allergist Wife. Yes. And Caroline Ray happened to be at the performance. Now, that has nothing to do with it, but I will tell you something. It was a Wednesday night. During a Wednesday, you do the matinee, and I would go upstairs. I would always take a nap, and I'd want a nap. And, and a nap to me is twenty minutes. Yes, yeah. I can. I'm one of those sleepers. I can yeah. do. I can take a nap in ten minutes and be refreshed, or five minutes wow. even. So, but I turned the speaker down, so that I'm not disturbed. So I go to sleep. I wake up. I'm playing video games on my phone. I'm just sitting there reading, doing nothing, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I hear. Way down the hall. I mean, Richard, you're on. You're on. Well, thank God what? I didn't take my costume off. It was. It was. Uh, I enter about 10, 10, 20 minutes into the show, and my speaker wasn't on. I never got places. I, I never got half hour. I never got places. And I'm just sitting there, and I was about. And I, I'm, I'm sure that people who are actors will realize what a minute and a half is, but you won't. The normal person doesn't know what a minute and a half on stage with no script is like. (laughs) So I'm in costume. When I enter, I have a fanny pack on. I'm holding a newspaper, a cup of coffee. I'm talking on a cell phone. Uh, You know, various things from I've just been out for a walk in the park. I go down to the prop table. I scoop them up in my arms. Uh I have the phone. And I, I... I enter. Oh my gosh. And they're glaring at me. (laughs) And I look at them and I go, I was almost mugged. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what to say. And I'm supposed to be on the phone, and then I get back and I go and I start to think. And so they're on stage for a minute and a half going, uh, you know the 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 um, the doorman is is a uh, Indian. He's going. Uh, shouldn't your father, husband be home by now? Like that. And then she's going. Yes, he's he's due home any minute. And they're just vamping, treading water, yeah. treading water for a minute and a half. Shit. Now the reason why I mentioned Caroline Ray, she was there that night. She had no idea I was late. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, it's enough. An audience, the audience doesn't know you're late. Here's a professional. Yeah. Had no idea that I had entered late. Who were some of the iconic performances that you saw when you were, were growing up that made you go? Cliff Gorman. 
mm-hmm. Ben Gazzara, and oh. not Colleen Dewhurst as a George in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Ben Gazzara blew me off the stage. I mean, I mean, but blew my head away. Yeah, he was he was unbelievable. Mm. Um, now, Colleen Dewhurst of great, of course, great. Sure, sure, sure. And I saw uh, Robards and her do uh, Moon for the Misbegotten, mm. uh, and um, some others. Um, Philip Bosco in everything except yeah. for Lend Me a Tenor because I hated Lend Me a Tenor so much. Mm. Uh, but Philip Bosco, Philip Bosco, and George Grizzard in Man and Superman. What an afternoon! Mm. I saw the the matinee of that and. I, it was unbelievable, and I didn't. I only went because, yeah, it shows on Broadway. Let's go see it. And uh, but it was fantastic. He, Bill, Philip Gosco was my hero. Hero. He and John Wood. John Wood doing travesties mm. was one of my heroes, and I did travesties at Bay Street Theater. Yeah, and I. It, it, let me put it. It's the last thing I should have ever been cast in. But Gregory, the the director, was had the foresight to say this is a comedy, and it's a burlesque type of comedy, and chose me. This was the sixth time he had directed it, and he chose me to do it, and we did it in two and a half weeks. Now I worked longer on the monologue, yes, yeah. but I did it in two and a half weeks, and the end of the show. You know, if you're working and you're working, okay, let's do this thing, let's do the beginning, then you get to the middle. In the end, you sort of get short shrifted if yeah. you've got that sort of a time. And it's a monologue, so I should have been working on it. Right. But I wasn't. I was working on the rest of the show. And I went on doing that last monologue for about a week, week and a half, not knowing what the hell I was talking about. Mm. Mm. And all of a sudden, one night... I'm doing the monologue, and I realize, and it's a short monologue, I realize what it's all about, what this monologue means to the rest of the play, and I started to cry. I, I'm going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I like put myself in the audience and realized what yeah. I was saying, and I'm going, oh, oh, my God. And, yeah. and it so informed my performance because... I realized what the whole play is about yeah. because of that. La- and the last monologue only lasts a, a minute, minute and a half. But it's him. T- the, it start, the show starts off with a forty-minute monologue, and I and I'm, I'm sitting at the piano, and I and and I give myself a hook before I start talking, and I say, "You want to hear a great story." And then I turn to the audience. He was Irish, of course, and, and, and I go through the whole monologue. But or or I say, I got a story for you. He was Irish, of course, and then I go into mm-hmm. the Stoppard stuff. But at the end, it's him grabbing the audience by the lapels and saying, "I mattered. I was somebody. I existed. You gotta listen to me." And that's what the whole play is. Right. The whole yeah. play is listen to the story that I'm going to tell you. But that's all I did is I told the story. But at the end, it's this is why I have to tell you this story. And it was so revealing and emotional that I then was able to bring it to the the whole play and why I was there. I thought I was just telling a story that's stop art and isn't this interesting and aren't we facile with the words, but I was able to bring it, which is why you have rehearsal. Right, yeah. It's why you have... uh, um, uh, uh, previews yeah. is to find this stuff, yes. and hopefully, I always call it the drive home. Usually, that would have come 
when the play had closed and had the driver's home. But I was yeah. lucky enough because at the drive home, you're driving to go, oh, God, yeah, oh, yes. why didn't I do that? Yes. Oh, my gosh, yeah, yeah. this is, it was so obvious. And you, and, you know, I was lucky that I found it about a week and a half into a three-week run. Yeah. So, um, so that, that was very lucky. How do you approach a role? So, so you, you get it? Are you are you a you know a Meisner guy, an Adler person? It's on pure they're, instinct. They're, they're, it's pure instinct. Yeah. Um, I had a teacher, a guy named Harry Mastro George, who just said. He honestly said, "You don't have to do research. You don't have to look into when kids go out to the playground and they say, let's play cowboys and Indians.' They say, what tribe?'" They don't say what tribe. Yeah. They go, well, are we later in the cowboy career? Have we been? <laughs> are, were we rustlers? Were we building trains? What were we right, doing? Right. They don't. They go out and they pretend They're, to be cowboys yeah. and Indians, yeah. and they buy it. Okay, so the the two things are is you play pretend, and all of the answers are in the script. Mm-hmm. Everything. Everything is in the script. So that when somebody says, like a director, or you're doing an audition, they go, wow, I never even saw it that way. You go, well, there's no other way to see it. It, yeah. it it's, right. The answer's right here. And um, now, when you say you, do your, you don't do your homework, you do do your homework because you read the script over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Every answer you want is there in the script. Everything Everything. So if something is italicized, there's an answer. If it sounds like you're yelling at somebody because that's how you interpret it and you read it and it comes after something, then he's angry or he's yelling. And the writer may have, or the director may say, no, that's not what I intended. It doesn't matter. That's how, when I was reading it, that's how I interpreted it. So if you want to know how do I approach a role, I've made my decisions, and I'm going to enter the room with a very, very clear decision. I don't find my a lot of my... Well, I do. I do f- find a lot in rehearsal. Right. Absolutely. With the I actors never, that you're working and with. And I never, ever memorize my lines before we start rehearsal. Never. And some people go, oh, my God, he came in. He was off book and everything. I would never do that. Yeah. Because that informs... The blocking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the person, finding out how do I, how, you know, what, what, how am I motivated to right. say the line? If I just know the lines, well, that's just stupid mm-hmm. because I, any any audience member can just pick up the book, you know, the the, the script and read it. Right. So I've got to find yeah. what what in the room. Right. Yeah. But that's what rehearsal is, and that's why it differs from TV. The difference between TV, or why, no, I should say, the reason why every actor should go and do theater, especially if they have a a TV job, is because your goal in TV is to make your day. That's what it is. What does that mean? You've got nine pages to shoot. Mm -hmm. You start at seven in the morning. When seven at night comes, all nine pages had better be shot or we're going to spend a lot of money in overtime. overtime. We got to push the call the next day. We've got to make your day. So a producer, a line producer, wow. says we're going to shoot this show in eight days. On Monday, we're going to shoot pages four, nine, eight, whatever it is, and you do your nine days, and you have to finish by seven o'clock on the eighth day. Yeah. For theater, just just. It's it's not a walk in the park, but we have day after day yeah. after day to work. It's a luxury. So when you do a play, you should know 
This is a luxury that an actor gets to have, and the luxury is getting to act and work hard, and you're going to be paid less. But on TV, you better come to the set with every line so memorized that they don't have to hold for you. You right. deliver take after take after take. You can change it. You can you can talk to the director and say, can I try it this way? You can listen to the director. Uh, you don't have the luxury of trying it many different ways or saying, wow, I didn't see it like that. You got to get mm -hmm. your lines out, bottom line, and that's what it is. Wow. Uh, so that's why an actor should go do plays because your goal is to do a good play and act it thoroughly and not just memorize the lines. Right. And on TV, sometimes it's you just memorize the lines. Let's jump back for a hot second. So you go off to college, uh -huh. and you do pre-law? I was pre-law. I was taking theater classes. At Northwestern. Okay. At Northwestern. Bud Beyer took me up in front of the class, and knew he knew my parents, and he uh, knew that the pressures that they were giving me, and he got me on stage for 50 minutes for an entire class, sitting solo on stage in a metal folding chair, while the whole class is listening, and he's berating me for taking the easy way out and not going into the business and going to my dad's store, and he just, I, it was memorable. It was a memorable class for me, and I just said, I, I got to do it. I, I can't take these classes anymore, because as you went into your second year, you had to take more theater classes. I said, I, I, I can't do it. I have to take the, the liberal arts studies, you know, and the communication studies and not do theater. And I also knew, I knew a lot about theater. I liked reading plays, and I would take classes in New York. I would go to other places, uh, but I didn't think I would be an actor. And then my dad's best friend, when I graduated and uh, I was supposed to go to law school, he said, defer for a year because you're going to kick yourself when you're 40 for not trying mm -hmm. it. And I had talent and through the ranks and, and, and luck and luck. Uh, okay, another, uh, here, here's, here's another uh, story about, about luck. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Here's a how. Oh, go, go on. You, you want to ask me any questions about it? No, no okay. go, you go. You go. <clears throat> so I'm doing. I did a reading or two of Hal's uh, Prince of Broadway. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Which he always said was uh, not a review. It's a, it's a, and I, I was not pleased with the show entirely, but I thought it was great. But I did the readings, look, just to go and have those songs performed. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. And by, by these great people. And I sing, but not good enough to be one of those cast members because I had to be ensemble a lot and mm. I had to harmonize. Yeah. I was really worried. But we did, uh, we, we did the, uh, the, the show for a couple of readings and it started out with him saying, because he had made a speech about luck and that he is where he was today because of luck. 
and I went into him, into his office. Now, I may have been in my riding, my, those bicycle <laughs> pants there, but it wasn't an audition. Okay. But I went up to his office, and I started talking to him about the script, and I said, I got to tell you something. I know you gave this speech at U of P about luck and that you wouldn't be where you were today. And Hal, that is clear and utter bullshit. It's simply bullshit. You got out of the army and you went to work for George Abbott for free. Well, you're lucky he took the meeting. You were a rich kid or a middle, you know, you had connections. And you were a hard worker and you worked for George Abbott for free, and you work hard for years. And that's not luck. Mm. You got lucky that he asked you to be a stage manager. But you had sort of proven yourself, and you were lucky that you were a stage manager, you were really good, but you learned the ropes. You were lucky, really lucky, that the first play you produced was was a pajama game or damn Yankees, one, 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 it's one or the other. That was his first play. Oh my God, right. you were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> you were really lucky. But my guess is you put yourself in a place where the best people in town were working and you got a hold of it with the help of Mr. Abbott. And then you became a producer. And you're lucky that you became such good friends with Stephen and then went on and that you, there are parts where you directed, you were very unlucky with She Loves Me, that it opens during a newspaper strike. Okay, but you make your own luck. And if you say, that you are here because of luck. That is not a, that's enough that it's a disservice to you and it's modesty, but it's a disservice to anybody who gets into the business and says, hey, why, why, why not me? Why didn't I do that? Mm-hmm. You got to make your luck. Mm-hmm. You got you to gotta work hard so that you're there to make your luck. Yeah. Because I say, I buy a lottery ticket every week. Why the fuck aren't I winning? Yeah. I'm buying it every week. Why aren't I lucky? Yeah. You got to work hard, and you've got to be good. And you were good. You really worked hard. You were smart. You were talented. So it's not just luck, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, Salieri had a lot of luck, but he was never Mozart. Yeah, and he right. worked and he worked and he worked and he worked. And yes, sometimes you're lucky and you're Amadeus, but uh, uh, but Salieri worked and worked and worked, and he was lucky. That's what luck can bring, that you're a forgotten man and you're at the court and okay, you worked. Mm. But sometimes you're blessed and you were blessed. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I told yeah. him. I really, I really called him out on it. Wow. I said, I was, and he didn't. And then I also said, and I'm sorry, your, your script, I said, I want to know what a producer does. I still learn what a producer does. I know that 99.9% of the theater audience has no idea what a director does. They don't know. They don't know that making a picture that stays in your head is an important thing Mm -hmm. or that blocking some person or revealing some person at a certain time. I said, that scene of musical chairs in Evita is the most memorable image I've ever seen in my life. Mm And, and, and an analogy of the uh, of Banana Republics or whatever you call it, and, and the and the uh, rebellions and oh, stuff, yeah, yeah. and it's all musical chairs. Said so that's something a producer or a director does. They don't know that, so you have to say 
this is what a director right. does. Right. Yeah. And he never did. Each yeah. just, well, then, and then with three sentences introduces a play. And here's the next show. And yeah, and he would and never get happened. into it. And he would never get into the stories that we're telling now. Mm-hmm. And I think these stories are great. Yeah, yeah. oh, absolutely. I mean, he, w- he would tell me, you know, he liked everybody. Um, and then he, so I'm, I'm talking out of school here, but that he had a hard time with John Carradine in Funny Thing Happened. Like, no, he, he didn't, yeah. he, he went into it, but I'm not going to go yeah. into it here. But he had a hard time with uh, Carradine in. Uh, and funny thing happened. Now, I think that's an interesting thing. Absolutely. And worth uh, uh, mining, those, yeah. those, those, those stories. Much more interesting than doing a song, even. Yeah. And showing off mm-hmm. just how... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I did a... Here's an interesting story, because I, this is something I did recently. The Yiddish production of uh, Fiddler mm-hmm. has been recorded for Cast Album, but yep. what they did was they got um, um, Sheldon to get a, a, a collection of the, some of the songs that were excised from the road. Yeah. Okay? They asked me to do one of them. Now, it's wow. called What a Life. And it's Tevye dragging on his horse and yelling at him and going, March, mush, you know, get him a move, get a move on, you know, stuff like that. And he's going, oh, what a life, what a do. It's a great song. You'd love to sing it. It's a yeah. great song. And I recorded it and I was worried about it. And I'll tell you something, I love it. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll be the, the first to say, I didn't yeah, do it yeah. so well or I didn't sound so good. I love the way that I did it. And I was worried and I really wanted to be good. And I was. But the reason why the number was cut was because Jerome Robbins didn't want a horse, a live horse, on stage. Mm. So they cut the song. And they replaced it with If I Were a Rich Man. <laughs> now, I think that's pretty fantastic. Yes. That's a great story. Yeah. yeah. You know? And why not give give them a couple of bars of what got cut yeah. and then see, oh, this is what it was replaced it with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Isn't that fantastic? That's yeah. idea. I know. I love the story. Yeah. The process. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. That's I've never heard that story no, before. That. And that's that's what people want to see. The lore. Or, you know? or want to know. Oh, well, yeah, want to know. Every, yeah. Well, I don't know, but everybody who's listening today wants to know. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. Uh-huh. And if you've got any sort of a brain, you'll want, right. to, yeah. Yeah. want to hear it. It's fascinating. Hey, podcast listeners, are you looking for a place to rehearse in New York City that is clean, spacious, and most importantly, affordable? Come check out Shetler Studios and Theaters, our wonderful host for these podcasts. Shetler is centrally located on West 54th Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of the theater district. Right in the heart, you'll find music, dance, and acting studios, complemented by two black box theaters and six presentation venues. The professional facilities, inspired environment, and expert industry staff combined to provide the New York artist with an unparalleled studio experience. Visit their website at shetlerstudios.com. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. Shetler Studios and Theaters is our home for recording the legends of Broadway, and we hope that you make it your artistic home, too. That's Shetler, S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. See you here. about auditioning for Jose Ferrer. Okay, this is this is no. This is this is just a. I like this story. It's a good story, um, and uh, everybody asks the same question when I'm finished. So yeah, uh, you're going to ask him. It's a real nothing story, except that when I graduated from college, 
I went on a trip to Russia oh. and uh, and in the Iron Curtain countries and all over Europe and out. And then I went to Washington with my dad and mom on a business trip where we got treated like royalty. And then come October, I'm going to be an actor. Okay. okay. So in September, I rented the apartment. My dad gave me first month's rent, last month's rent, wow. uh, mo- money for the photo, money for the uh, picture and resume, and money for the contacts, contact lenses, because the person taking the picture said, oh, you can't wear glasses. You've got to get contacts. And after that, my dad gave me no more money for the rest of my life. Okay. Okay, so that's what he set me up with. I am in New York, young actor. What do you? What's the first thing you do? You buy Show Business Magazine, which had yep. the list the of every, uh, you buy the, the trades yeah. of every audition. Carmelina is auditioning by Burton Lane. Uh, Jose Ferrer is directing. I get there, uh, equity principal auditions. I go up to the table. Richard Kind, young actor. It's my first audition ever, ever, for ever. Show us your equity card. What? Uh, your equity card. I, I don't know. Your union card. Well, I'm not, I'm not a member of the union. I'm, I'm sorry, I have to be a member of the union. And here's where I was taught to catch 22. How do you become a member of the union? Right. Well, you have to yeah. you, you have to be in an equity show, and so it's the catch 22. I go, well, well, I don't know. He goes, well, we're holding non-equity auditions at uh, five o'clock this afternoon or four o'clock, whatever it is. And I go, okay, okay, I'll be there. Well, like an idiot, I get there an hour and a half before to show this monitor that I really am serious right. about being an actor. <laughs> so I'm waiting Youth. around and waiting around and waiting around, and then it is time for us. And uh, there's about 50 guys who uh, are non-equity and are auditioning. So it was at the Minskoff uh, rehearsal studios. I don't know whether you remember yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so a huge room, and 50 guys are all lining up. And if you had dark hair, you probably got picked because it took place in Italy. So we're Italian. So you, 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 and I'm there. And... Uh, there, uh, so, and we were all in the room. No, we didn't, didn't come in one at a time. We all sat in the room. And so one guy gets up and he gives the music to the conductor. And uh, uh, the guy's playing it. And I don't have any music. I don't, I, don't, I don't have music. And so it's my turn. And I, I go up to him and I go, I don't, I don't, I don't have any music. And he goes, uh, well, what's, what song do you know? And I go, do you know Hey There? And he goes, yeah. And I go, he goes, what key? I go, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so he starts playing Hey There. And I'm going, hey there, you with the stars in your eyes. And all of a sudden, Jose Ferrer looks up on the table and goes, hey there. Why, my, my ex-wife had a hit with that song. And he, he gets, and he's, gets up. He moves over to the piano, pushes the guy aside, and starts accompanying me to Hey There uh, at my very first audition, and then starts singing along. And that was my first audition, because it was Rosemary Clooney. Yeah. You can't so, make that up. That's I know, insane. I know, I know. Now, everybody asks the question. Did you get it? No. It's my fucking first audition for a Broadway play, and I sing Where like I said. Where his pants tight no. is usually what Yeah, right, right. Oh, oh no. Um, no, no, he was after the women. Yeah. Oh, that's... Always. Oh, God, yes. A, total. A great crazy. story is, is uh, when Dustin Hoffman was doing Tootsie, he got in the elevator and put the moves on Jose Ferrer. 
in and, drag. In, in drag. drag, in drag. Yes. And that's when he knew he could pass as a woman. Oh, my God. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's exciting. Holy yeah. shit. So, so anyway, so that was my, that was, it was Carmelita. So how was treading the, the boards when you first came to New York? I mean, what, what you went to every, you, you eventially learned your way. You figured out, well, I oh, guess yeah, I, yeah, I, need yeah. to, I need a song. Oh, I went to, uh, I need to um, get a new uh, union. What was it? Um, 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 uh, on Long Beach Island. What was the, the, the Summerstock Theater? Not, not that, Jones, Jones, Jones. No, not no, no, no. no, no, no. Really oh bad. my God! Why can't I think of it? Oh my God! It's awful. I could memorize lines. But Gateway? No, no. Um, uh, um, it's not Bay Street, but um, Beach Haven. It was in Beach Haven, New Jersey. Um, oh, Jersey. Like, yeah, not Beach uh, Seaside. Be, not, no, no, no. The Beach. The, the the thing. Oh, and I just saw the my director Gill the other night, who was so old and he was so young back when he was. Yeah, he was in Caris in Carnival. Um. Um, uh, it's not there anymore. Oh my God! Is it Summerstock? Yes, it, it, a truly Summerstock. We did fourteen. Okay, I'll continue while you look. Um, Surflight. Surflight. So oh, I did Surflight. Yeah. yeah. So I did fourteen shows in fifteen weeks. It was oh. crazy. It was crazy, crazy, crazy. And they weren't just little shows. Yeah. They were Mame and Little Abner and oh, yeah. Fiddler and uh, Good News. That was our first show. Good News. And then you uh, you do like around. Uh, 11 of those then you did a review which ours was Rogers and Hart review and then you do two straight plays so I come there as the character actor yep okay yep. and a girl named Sally I can't remember her name she's lovely and uh, she was the character actress so we did all of our stuff we did Grease and you rehearse this in six days yeah okay and the, and the seventh day is tech so you had you worked Seven. You 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 did you you did eight perform. You you worked every single night, and then they would tear down the set that Sunday night, and it would be ready for Monday, and then you would uh, you would do tech, and then go on Monday night. Because you would so be performing right. at night, but rehearsing the next show during, D- during the day, the day. Yeah. and on Wednesdays and Thursdays doing the children's show. Right. Okay. Oh my God. Now in the Usually, morning. In the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, at one in the afternoon. Oh my God. Usually. You were uh, you did not uh, have to um, do a children's show if you were a lead, but there were a couple of shows like in Mame I played Mr. Babcock, so I had to do. Yeah. But I was learning whatever the next musical was, and but can you imagine learning Marion Sam, Cornpone, General Cornpone, and the uh, Sadie Hawkins Day? You wakes up at the top yeah. uh, at the uh, drop of dawn, you slops hogs and you mows the lawn with the woods that perform the chores when it's rainy and cold outdoors. You know, I, I mean, it was crazy. I still remember it. Yeah. <laughs> and the weird thing is, that they said that Stubby K used to have the lyrics in the Bible. So, <laughs> the one time I had the, and I would do it because I memorized it. One time I said, well, all right, I'll put the lyrics in the Bible. That's the only time I fucked up. <laughs> it's because I, I had the lyrics. But I knew. I knew General Cornpone. I, know, uh, I knew uh, um, the Marion Sand number. It, it was crazy. I learned Fiddler on the Roof in a week. Mm. I learned it right now. Thank God I knew the, ba- the, the, uh, the words, right. you know, the music backwards and forwards because I was raised on it and listened to it uh, over and over and over and over and over. But uh, you learn a script. You still have those pinch me moments? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you know, okay, this is theater. I will tell you my five best compliments. Uh, first one was when I, I did um, uh, 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 Big Knife 
at Williamstown. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't like to do a play twice, mm-hmm. but I did Big Knife at Williamstown, mm-hmm. directed by Joanne Woodward. Oh, oh Okay, God. and she was great. She was phenomenal. Uh, she, the best thing she did, she's not a great director, but she just said, sit. She said, I wanted to get up and I wanted to grandstand this and that. She just had me sit. Mm-hmm. And I was still, now I'm huge in the role, but she had me sit. She was great. She was very good for me, really, really good. And uh, so I come out one night, and somebody jumps on my back, putting their arms around my neck. They have them around, I good choked. And he goes, kid, you're like a locomotive. Once you get going, there's no stopping you. Paul Newman. Paul Newman, who was about 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, oh, and did not weigh a lot. And so he jumped. Jumped up there. Yeah, it was a real holy that's shit. That's a good one. That's a yeah, good one. so that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been directed by Arthur Penn twice. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And he was great, and he really loved me. And uh, he said um, uh, to the whole cast, it was, a, it was an actor studio theater production. So you got all these actor studio, and he asked one of the girls who happened to have been in Big Knife, so that's how I got the role. She's, he said, you know anybody really funny? And she goes, she mentioned me. And he gave me the part without without me reading. What? I know, but it, you know, it was it's yeah. all, it was off off Broadway. It was yeah. the Actor Studio Free Theater. Okay. Uh, but he liked me very much, and he he looked at the whole cast, and he goes, "Why can't you act like Richard Kind? He's got the balls of a blind burglar." <laughs> and I, I wow, love I, I love that. Wildly specific. That's amazing. I love so, that. So I love that. Um, balls of a blind yeah. burglar. <laughs> um, another great compliment oh my God. was. Uh, Stephen Wright, mm. uh, when he was doing Mad About You, he comes up and he goes, you know, I usually really hate actors like you. They're so big. You crack me up. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> I, mean, I usually don't like actors wow. like you. You know, you're so big, but you crack me up. <laughs> Killed me. Killed me. He was so nice. He was very nice. And then uh, uh, Frank Oz, uh, d- during um, uh, mm. the premiere of... Uh, uh, actually, it was, it was the cast and crew, and it was great because they're not normal cast and crews uh, for Pixar for Inside Out. Mm-hmm. And he sat next to me uh, uh, during Inside Out. Oh. And when it was over, he squeezed my forearm and he just went, You're the next dead win. And I just, Oh my God, coming from. from oh now. my God. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was crazy. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Could it die happy great. after yes, any one of those. I know, those any one of them. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I know. I wanted to ask you, I mean, it's it's not theater related, but in a way it is, which is the Carol Burnett show, working with Carol Burnett, uh-huh. the Queen of Comedy. Right. What was that experience? Uh, like? I, I, I will tell you. And actually, this is very, uh, it's a good story for, for theater and for, because um, Carol, um, she, uh, uh, she, she had heard about me and Envy. Anyway, I'm coming for the audition. Usually, you're sitting out in the hall, and I was alone, but you're sitting out in the hall, and the casting director comes out and goes, uh, Richard, we're ready, and you then go in, and hi, how are you, like that. I'm alone, I'm in the hall, and out of the door and around the corner comes Carol Burnett, opens her arm, and literally says, I hear you're wonderful. Come on, let's play. How much more do you want to go in and do the best job that you can? Yeah. Oh. It, it was fantastic. It so the room perfectly. Yeah, like, oh, perfectly. Can't wait to come in there because yeah. usually 
And, and I understand why this is, is because they're making it so uncomfortable that you'd better be great and draw us in. But aren't you better when they're with you and their yeah. arms aren't crossed and they're saying, please delight us? Right. Now, I will tell you something, and this is for the actors of you out there, and it's something that I teach whenever I teach, and I don't teach that often, but this is something that's important and I believe this, and I really believe this wholeheartedly. Usually when you go into a room, you're going in with, I gotta do well, mm-hmm. I, 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 I need this job, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad I need this job. And It is the opposite attitude you should have. If you believe, number one, you're good, number two, you're great, And number three, you're really, really right for this role. You can't just say, oh, I think I can do this. You've got to say, I I, I know this. I can can do this. This is, I can do this. I I need this role and I want this role because I'm great and I can do this. Go in the room with the attitude of, you guys need somebody to play this role and do it well. I just hope you cast around me Mm -hmm. as good as I am doing this role. You better not fuck this up because anybody sitting behind this table is not saying, oh gosh, I hope we can give Rich Kind this job. They're all saying, I hope this guy is good so I can make a lot of money and my show can run for five years. That's what they're thinking, no matter how genuine and wonderful they are. They're not saying, oh gosh, I hear this guy's going on hard times. I really hope I can help him out. Doesn't matter. They want their show to be the best that it is, and you go in saying, I'm going to help you make your goal, and I'm going to make this the best show that you'll ever want. You're going to get on your knees. You're going to thank me that I'm so good. And you go in with that attitude that I'm going to help you, and not it takes all the pressure off of you mm. and puts it on them. But you gotta believe it. Yeah, yes. you gotta say this. I, I know I can do this. Just watch. Just watch me hit this out of the park. So I, I think that that's a really good way of entering a room, because what you're entering is a long, a long table with guys with their arms folded and saying, uh, yeah, "Okay, you're, you're number. Uh, what are you? Number forty-two. Let's see what you got." It's a horrible yeah. way, oh, and yeah. that and that's how you go in pretty much with every audition. Yeah. So why not change 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 yeah. the rules a little bit? Right. Help so um, yeah. yeah, that's so, a great great energy. I know it's a, it's yeah. a, it's so a really smart. helpful thing. Advice. Okay, now how did I get there? We're oh about oh oh. Burnett. So so Carol uh, comes in. What we were do- look, she loves theater, as you well know. We were these were uh, truly one act plays. It was an anth- anthology series. And she used to joke, you know, when she gets a hold of a joke or a way of thinking, she holds on to it. And she used to go, it's the A word, anthology. And she goes, you know, the only anthologies you've had were Twilight Zone or, or, you know, stuff like that. And here was a comedy. And um, it was was hit or miss. Mm -hmm. Some of the shows were terrific. And some of them were not so great. They were always acted well because we were with great people. And you have Carol Burnett. But they weren't always great. But some of them were really good. And they were always theatrical. Yeah. Uh, and which is what Carol does in front of a live audience. The difference uh, of what Carol, I got to work with two true legends and truly phenomenal talents Michael J. Fox and Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox 
needs an audience to hear the laugh and keep him in rhythm. But he's playing for a camera. Mm-hmm. But he needs the audience. Carol needs the audience because she plays to the audience and the camera catches it. Interesting. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. 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 And that's why she is the perfect example of why you shouldn't film a play. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. However, Carol is so talented that she knows how to do what Michael does when she goes to a single camera, you know, to Annie yeah. or to she she can she's huge, but can take it down for a camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but when we were doing that show, that's what we were doing. We were playing to the audience, and uh, and it, it was very theatrical, yeah. and not always right for TV, and sometimes great for TV. Uh, so it was great working with her. Just great. What's still on your bucket list? What what dream roles are there that you there, still... There, there's, there's one dream role that's dream, 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 dream role, which is Roy Cohn in Angels in America. Oh. And and I did a reading yeah. for Tony. Uh, I, I was over in London doing Guys and Dolls. Uh, and by, by the way, every role that I sort of do ends up becoming a dream role. Uh, mm. Like... like sure. Um, uh, uh, in front page, mm-hmm. I, I have a really, really, really wealthy friend in Wales. He was a Chicago boy. I play golf with him, and he he had an insurance company. He sold the company for one point eight billion dollars. Billion. Billion. billion, yeah. So, and it's just and and I and that's when you find out firsthand what a billion dollars will, really will buy. Yeah. So he ha- had a fiftieth birthday party and his twenty fifth anniversary. And he flew everybody over to France, and they took a trip down the Rhone River, and it was, and, and, and he put everybody up in hotels, and it was a lot of people. And then he had a huge party, and I was invited to go on it. He was one of my dearest, dearest friends. I get a call uh, to play Frank Burns, not Frank Burns, uh, Walter Burns, Jesus, to play Walter Burns in front page. And uh, no, I get a call to be in the front page that they want me to be in the front page. And I go, hey, you know what, every role is great, but unless it's Walter Burns, uh, uh, no, I'm going on this trip. They say it's Walter Burns. And so I turn down the trip. And you find out that Walter Burns is a dream role. Yeah. However, you also find out Walter Burns is, you know, uh, in the Samuel French edition of a 148-page script, you know what page he enters on? Way in there, isn't it? 100? Yeah. 100. Yeah. He enters on page 100. But he owns, he owns. the next oh, 48 no, yeah, pages. Oh, yeah. It's worth it. So, yeah, so it is worth it. So my dream is, is um, uh, I'm over in London, and I hear that they're doing Angels in America over there. And I call my agent. I go, throw my hat in the ring. I'll, I'll go meet Marion uh, Ellison or whatever with an E. I'll, go, um, I'll meet her any time. Please, please, please. And then I hear, of course, and Nathan's going to do it. And I go, oh, yeah, okay, of course. Uh, so I'm at uh, a reading that Tony's doing. And I say to him, uh, listen, I, I, I told him the story about London. I said, but if you ever hear of a production or if you, if you like me, and he, I knew he liked me, um, I, I really, it's my dream job, my dream, my dream, my dream to do Roy Cohn. And he came through and he offered, he had somebody in Seattle, Seattle rep. Yeah. They just did it and they offered me the role. I can't, I can't go away for eight months and leave my kids yeah. with a Sunday off. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I simply 
can't. And that's my dream. And that's why actors should not have children. <laughs> but, um, but it was my dream. And uh, I, I really do... I really do want to play Willie Loman. Mm-hmm. I really, yeah. really do. Yeah. I really do. And I never did until somebody said to me, you'd be great as Willie mm-hmm. Loman. Oh, yeah. And it's true. I, I, yeah. I think it's a part that I'd, I'd love to... I don't know when, and I still have children. I, I can't do theater now because I have children. Yeah. I can't afford right. it. Right. Um, and a lot of it means you go on the road. I, I would, they asked me to do Tootsie. And I just can't do it. It's, it's a year and a half that you have yeah. to devote, or more, probably Before two years. Before you coming here, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, uh, yeah and I, I can't do it. Yeah. It, it kills me. I, I feel um, like our, our listeners would chastise us if we didn't ask about co-op and documentary oh, okay. now. All right. All right. Would, would you tell us a little bit about this process? It was hysterical, by the way. It's we, great. Oh, yeah. it's, We've it's talked such, about it before. Yeah. But, but I, I, look, I'm writing the coattails of, of true geniuses. I mean, people who work very, very hard. But John Mulaney and Seth yes. Meyers... Uh, uh, elevate our level of comedy. Yeah, and and in fact, so many people today are doing that. They're better than any. They're they're all. Well, Gelbart was the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the best. Oh, wait, I have a funny Gelbart story. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Arthur Penn. Um, the, the the play that I did was written by Larry Gelbart. It was called. Uh, it wasn't Mastergate. Sly Fox, right? I did Sly Fox, but it was another play. It was a Washington version of uh, La Ronde. So it would be two people, then one of them goes off. And and it wasn't Mastergate, and I can't think of the name because I'm on the the spot and I'm old. (laughs) Okay, so he comes to the rehearsal, he loves me, and and it's and it's Arthur directing it, and he really it's really, really great. And then this is the nuts of it all. This is this is how stupid producers can be. I was doing the producers. They're rehearsing Sly Fox to open in Boston. And Richard Dreyfus, who was a great actor and yeah. continues to be a great actor, continues. Yeah. He's great and a nice guy. And I get along with him really well and he's as smart as all get out yeah. and he's very, very politically conscientious, he's a great man, but he will admit that his brain is fried on drugs and liquor. He's doing Sly Fox, and he cannot remember his lines. Mm. And it's horrible. It's horrible. Larry Gelbart came to Boston to see the production. When they opened in New York, he didn't come to opening night. It was horrible. Arthur Penn was furious, everything. It was a horrible experience. And when Richard left, they wanted somebody to take over. Well, Arthur remembered me. Now, can I sell a show like Richard Dreyfus? Absolutely not. So, but I get offered the part, and of course I'm going to do it. It's Arthur, it's yeah. Broadway. Yeah. My face, my face was on the lighted billboard yeah. outside. Well, we opened, I opened in August during the Republican convention. Oh, I remember mm-hmm. that. When, when I heard that Orso's had the only day where nobody came to the restaurant. The town was empty, and the Republicans were all in the, the thing, they went to one Broadway show, which was Fiddler on the Roof, 
And my joke was, is that they came out in the beginning to say, remember, the Cossacks are the bad guys. So that was my... So that, that's where good. all the Republicans that's went good. to. Yeah. Uh, so we opened then, and then come September yeah. is going to be the Jewish holidays. I played it for two weeks on Broadway. They spent a lot of money. They rehearsed us for a month. Wow. Uh, they didn't sell any tickets. And, you, you, you know, it's, it's the fallow months with the Jewish yeah. holidays and the Labor yeah. Day and everything. Yeah. But I got to do it. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say about the... Oh, so Larry Gelbart doesn't come. He then... Okay, this is the point of the story. Uh, I did pretty much all of his plays except for Mastergate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did Forum. I did uh, the, the, this other uh, the, this other play, which uh, Power Failure. That was mm-hmm. the name of it. Power Failure was the, the name of the play. I, I did uh, uh, a, a Sly Fox, and so and I knew his daughter Becky, and his mom, or his wife. Uh, during when he had died, uh, they did a memorial in L.A. And they knew that everybody was just going to talk about MASH or, yeah. or uh, Tootsie or, or you know, a right. show of shows. Yeah. And they wanted somebody to talk about his theater. So I got up oh, and my. she asked me yeah. to talk about, about his place because I knew he liked me on right. stage. Right. So I get up and I'm talking and I'm, my speech is pretty good. But then he wrote a speech at the beginning of Sly Fox, which is all about money and his brilliant, brilliant wit showed it off. He said, God. He said, gold, gold, God with an L, gold. And it was, every line was so, was, you know, the, he compared the sun to the shining of, of gold. It was a great speech. And I decided to read it as an example. And halfway through, it's going on too long. Yeah, you can tell. And from the front row, now, it's, this is being done at the Academy, which is an, an enormous, enormous theater enormous and thank god mel brooks was in the front row and he's screaming to the front and not to the back so nobody really heard it but i'm heckled by mel brooks who screams out they're pulling out the hook rich (laughs) (laughs) so i uh so it's not great however I have a great Mel Brooks story. We're that's, getting yeah. getting her- heckled at a memorial by, by Mel Brooks. Richard, so, uh, this was so uh, much fun. Oh, I, can't, I can't even believe our time is up. Oh my God! Oh, I, got, well, I, can, I really could talk because I love, I do love talking we about can tell, it. We can tell. Yeah, I, I, hope yeah. I hope you'll come yeah, back. I hope you'll come back at yeah, some yeah. point. Yeah. My God, this has been so much fun. Yeah. All right, till oh, next time. Bye, everybody. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. 
I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.